But in Genesis 41, let me summarize most of this, this chapter. So the seven years of prosperity come to pass. And Joseph gathered and stored like tons and tons of grain into these huge storehouses that he built all over Egypt, all over the place. Just massive storehouses all over the place of grain because he knew what was coming. And so he prepared. And then we come to our verse in Genesis 41. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there in verse 53. If not, you can follow with me in the New Living Translation on the screen. And by the way, listen, there's a lot of Scripture Today, don't disengage when we're reading. This is powerful. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. There's so much meat to it. So take notes, engage in what we're going to learn today because we can apply it to our life. Genesis 41, 53. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Everybody look at me. All material things are going to eventually come to an end. All of those material blessings that we love so much, especially in America, they're going to come to an end. They're going to fade away. They're going to go away. And if we build our life upon them, they will crumble and we will fall and it will be ugly. You understand what I'm saying? You cannot build your life, folks, on your giftings, on your talent, on your bank account, on your your job, on any of those material things that are so important in our culture. Jesus said, build Everything, build your life upon, if you build it upon the what? The sand, it will, it will fall. Build it upon the rock, and the rock is Christ Jesus. Folks, we have to build our life and our foundation on Christ and him alone if we want to be successful. That's just a little side note there. Verse 54, then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all of the surrounding countries, that's important, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well, and when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Folks, Joseph became the most popular man in the known world. He became the go-to guy in the known world. He was so famous because of his decisions and because of his leadership. Verse 56, and because he had food. Amen. Verse 56, so with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout Egypt. The world, no other nation around them was ready for this. They had been living it up in plenty for the last seven years, like it was never going to go away, like it was never going to stop. And they did not prepare as Egypt did because of Joseph, and eventually there was nothing left. So let me tell you what is happening here. The stage was being set for a reunion The stage was being set for a reunion to take place. God was going to use this famine to bring the family of Israel back together again. That's my first point. Look at the screen. God can use any circumstance for his purposes. God can use any circumstance for his purpose. Now, I'm careful in saying that because there is some theology out there that's, you know, kind of like God causes evil things to happen so that he can get glory. I don't, I don't buy into that. That's not the character of God that I see in Christ. I don't buy into that. And we certainly wouldn't pray for bad things to happen so that God can shine in his good. Come on. That's, that's, that doesn't make any sense to me. 
And we, we don't try to gloss over it either. If it's bad, it's bad. If it's evil, it's evil. We don't come up with Christianese talk to try to smooth it over. If it's evil, we call it evil. If it's bad, we call it bad. But my God is big enough, even in the worst possible circumstance that you can imagine, terrorist attack, natural disaster, whatever you can think of that would be horrible, he is big enough and powerful enough even to come in the back door and make something beautiful and something good, even out of the worst circumstance in your life, if you belong to him. Give him praise if you believe that. Come on. If, if, and we talked about this last week, if you remain in him, if you stay connected to him, if you don't, all bets are off. Is that any clear? Can that be any clearer? My God is big enough. Uh, Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob, remember Jacob, he's in Canaan, he heard about the grain that was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, I love this, why are you standing around looking at one another? (laughs) I think that's just awesome. Why are you standing around here? I've heard that there's food in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we're going to die. Verse 3, so Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. These are the same ten brothers who sold him into slavery. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear. Everybody say fear. Some harm might come to him. Now, I didn't put this in my notes, and God arrested me. In the early service, God just stopped me flat, and I'm feeling that again. Fear. Fear will paralyze us. Fear will keep us from our dream. Fear will keep us from our purpose. Fear is not of God. When you are afraid of something, when you fear something, you fear to step out when you know God has spoken, that is not God. That is the enemy trying to keep you. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. So Jacob, out of fear, would not let Benjamin go, and it became a mess because of it. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Verse 6, since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. Do you think for a second that was coincidence? Not at all. When they arrived, they, uh uh-oh, bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan. We have come to buy food. Now, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Now, listen to verse 9. And he remembered the dreams. Everybody say, remembered the dreams. Say it again. Remembered the dreams that he had about them many years before. Now, To remember something implies that you have to what? Forget about it. You can't remember something if you never forgot it. 22 years have passed since he was 17 years old and since he had those dreams. 22 years 
have gone by. Joseph was now 39. See, how long did, how long did it take for him to become prime minister? 13, right? He was 30 when he became prime minister. And then seven years of plenty. And now we're two years into the famine. He's 39 years old. And now he has become so busy with his job and his importance and his title and so immersed into Egypt and the Egyptian culture that he's forgotten his dream. Now, when you hear the word Egypt in the Bible, it's obviously can be talking about a geographical location, but it can also be talking symbolically about sin and slavery and a life lived apart from God. So keep that in mind. And I believe, my thoughts are that after nine years of being the man, after nine years of being the most popular human on the planet, because of his wisdom, because of his administration, because, and especially now in this famine, I think he had forgotten who he... I've, I've taught this a hundred times, and I've never, I've never seen this before. I've never thought about this before. He forgot who he was. He forgot who he was in Jehovah God because of the influence of Egypt and the influence of the power and the authority and the busyness that he had. Doesn't the same thing happen to us? Oh, come on. Doesn't the same thing happen to us? How quickly we forget what God has done for us. Oh, we're, we remember it when we're down in the pit or when we're in the prison, but when God elevates us and causes some things to happen and promotes us, how quickly we forget him. And we lose our focus, we forget our dreams, and we forget who we are in God. Look at the screen. We forget our ultimate purpose isn't found in our accomplishments, but in Christ. You need to write that down and think about that. Your value, who you are, is not wrapped up in what you do, but in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. And so now suddenly, <laughs> listen, you got to go there with me. Suddenly Joseph comes face to face with his past. Suddenly the struggle comes back. He remembers the pit. Suddenly it's like, oh my gosh. He remembers the struggles. He remembers the dreams. He remembers his brothers. He remembers the betrayal. He remembers the pain. He remembers all of it. It just comes rushing back. Can you imagine what he was feeling? Can you imagine the roller coaster of emotions? I mean, there had to be some excitement, right? Some, a little bit of like, oh, that's my family who totally betrayed me and sold me into slavery. What? A mix of emotion. And I think the first one he feels is anger. Because listen to what he says. He said to them, you're spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We're all brothers here, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. Yeah. Kind of talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> I mean, Joseph, it doesn't say he said anything. He must have just bitten his tongue off. 
We're not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. Verse 12, you have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, son of the, uh, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. I'm sure Joseph is thinking, no kidding. <laughs> and probably something else. Just fill in the blank. I can't say it out loud in church. He is like, oh, really? No kidding. He's not with you anymore. Look at me, look at me. What would you have done? Joseph has the power to do anything he wants to do, literally. He, he could have them executed. He could have them put in prison. He could have them tortured. He could, he could just say, no, you can't have any food, go back home. Whatever he wanted to do. What, just, just, just take a second. What would you have done 22 years later? Wow. You know, the last time he saw him, the last time he saw his brothers, they were gazing down at him in the pit. Let me summarize verses 14 through 37 for time's sake. I wish we could read it all, but we can't. Joseph is brilliant, right? He is brilliant, and so he starts messing with them. He starts trying to get information out of them about the family without them knowing who he is. And so he just messes with them. And, and, and he, he, he blames them for being spies. He, he arrests them. And the only way he's going to let them out of Egypt is if they'll leave Simeon, one of the brothers, in prison, go back to the land of Canaan, get Benjamin, get the brother, and bring him back. All of this is just so that Joseph can see his only full brother, the only brother who didn't betray him. It's all a scheme just to get Joseph, I mean, to get Benjamin back to Egypt. So when his brothers get home, they explain all this to Jacob, who's old at this point, and this is what Jacob says, verse 38. Listen to what he said. Listen, you got to hear this. But Jacob replied, my son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead. Now get what he says. Get what he says. And he is all I have left. Who is he talking to? Nine of his sons, one of which is back in Egypt in prison. What a slap in the face. He's telling his sons, Benjamin's all I have left. Basically saying, you guys are nothing to me. Some issues in this family. My goodness. Make y'all feel good about yours? <laughs> That's what the Old Testament will do. I promise. You just read through it and you're like, oh, it's not so bad. <laughs> wow. He said, he will not. He will not. He's all I have left. So understand what's happening here. Jacob is making a conscious decision to leave Simeon in prison indefinitely because he's afraid to even risk Benjamin going to Egypt. I'm going to summarize again Genesis uh, 43, 1 through 25. So the famine continues. It gets worse. And eventually the same family runs out of food again. They run out of food again because there's no food. And so Jacob says, go back to Egypt and get more food. And they're like, won't do it. 
Because if we go back, this guy that we met is going to put us in prison because we didn't bring Benjamin. So it gets, he, Jacob keeps you know, digging his heels in, digging his heels Finally, they get starving enough that he lets Benjamin go with them. Now, Judah, one of the brothers, steps up and says, look, Dad, I'll take care of him. I'll take care of him. Just let us go or we're going to die. You've got to let us go. So Jacob gives in. The brothers all return to Joseph's palace. And then Joseph gets word of it and he invites them to dinner. Folks, let me tell you something. His, they didn't, still don't know who he is. They didn't want to go to dinner. They did not want to go. They didn't want to be around this guy any more than they had to. They want to prove that Benjamin was here. They wanted to get their food and leave. But because of the circumstances, they have to go to this dinner. And so they, they accept the invitation. So here we go. Genesis 43, 26. When Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts that they had brought them. And what happened? They bowed low to the ground before him. After greeting them, he asked, how is your father, the old man that you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied. Our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. Second dream. 29. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. Everybody look at me. When he saw Benjamin, 22 years of loss and separation overwhelmed him, came crashing down, and he couldn't handle it anymore, and he just absolutely broke down. Have you ever gotten to that point in your life? Have you ever gotten to the point where you just said, you know what, I've been strong for long enough. I've carried this long enough, and I can't do it anymore. And something snaps in you, and you break down. I've talked about my son, Chuck. Those are who are new. I have an adopted son who's 32 now. Everything's good now. It wasn't always. And when we were going through the process, when he was very young, 11, and I just got to know him, and then he began to come stay with Kathy and I over the weekend so he could go to church. I'm going to make a very long story short, but he would come and spend the weekends, and he became a part of us. You understand what I'm saying? If you've never done foster care or adopted, it's hard to explain. But he became a part of us. But his aunt, who he lived with, was very unstable, alcoholic, drug addict, those kind of things. And so we never knew from week to week whether we would see him ever again. She was liable to drop everything and just take off and never see. So every, there was never an assurance, folks, never an assurance of if this, when we dropped him off on Sunday night, if we would ever see him again for an entire year. And I didn't realize the effects it was having on me physically, emotionally. And so when that culmination happened and that night came where everything came to a head and we knew for sure that he was going to be with us from then on, I broke. I melted. I remember like it was yesterday. I melted into the floor. I just, I don't remember. I didn't fall. It was just like I, I melted into the floor and I began to weep and I couldn't stop. I could not. And physically, I could not 
stop. And that's not me. That's not my personality. I don't, that's probably the third time in my life I've cried. It's really, I'm not, I'm just that kind of, I just don't do it. So I scared Kathy to death because she couldn't help me. She couldn't stop. Chuck was in there. It, it freaked him out because I couldn't stop, folks. It, something broke in me, and I'd been carrying that weight, and I couldn't do it anymore. Can I tell you something? We were never meant to carry that kind of burden. That's why Jesus went to the cross, and he took all of that on himself for us. We are not able to carry those things, and this morning, you need to get free of that burden and cast those things upon him because that's why he died for you. Let me read it in 1 Peter 5 and 6 and 7. Put it on the screen. Therefore, humble yourselves. Look at me. You know what that means? Stop trying to be God. Humble yourselves and quit trying to fix it on your own. Quit trying to take care of it on your own. You're just going to mess it up more. Quit trying to be God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Somebody needs to hear that today. You weren't meant to carry that. And Joseph wasn't either. And he broke. So he washes his face. He gets a grip. And they have dinner. Now, they're separate. Hebrews and Egyptians did not eat together. And he's still total Egyptian. He has not told them who he is. In chapter 44, I'm going to summarize again. Chapter 44 is all about Joseph's big scheme to keep Benjamin in Egypt. He goes through this whole elaborate scheme of, of hiding a silver goblet in Benjamin's stuff and his, his bag that he carried. And then they find it, and it's, of course it was planted there, but it was all to keep Benjamin, put him in prison, and keep him in Egypt with Joseph. But something happened very unexpected. Something happened that Joseph did not expect. Judah stepped up to the plate. The same man who failed him 22 years earlier stepped up to the plate and begged Joseph, let me go to prison in his place. Let me lay my life down in place of Benjamin. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it was Judah. Jesus comes from the line of Judah. And he would lay down his life for all of us. That was foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. So all of this drama is happening in front of Joseph, who still hasn't told them who he is, but he's watching how his brothers have changed. Let's find out how our story ends in Genesis 45.1. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. <laughs> then he broke down. And wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear them, hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh. Verse 3 says, I am Joseph. I think he screamed it at him. Don't you? I am Joseph. And then he goes, Hey, is my father still alive? And they're like, They couldn't even answer him, they couldn't believe it. Verse 4, then he quietens down. Hey, guys, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. So they came closer, and he said, I'm Joseph, it's me. It's really, really me. 
who you sold into slavery, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God. Everybody say, it was God. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Verse 6, this famine that's ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Verse 8, so it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of this entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Later on, many years later, he would say in, in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Did you hear that? He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Make no mistake about what is happening here. Listen, you've got to hear this. This will set you free. As he is telling his brothers these things, and explaining to them the plan of God and the sovereignty of God, make no mistake, he is also verbally out loud forgiving his brothers for what they had done to him. And pay close attention to the screen in our, in our application for this. Speaking forgiveness out loud brings healing, but holding on to unforgiveness will delay your dream and steal your joy. Speaking it out loud, getting it out there, not in your heart, out loud, can bring healing to your life. But if you hold on to that unforgiveness, it will absolutely delay your dream and it will kill your joy. And the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. It's zapping your strength. It's zapping who you are. It's keeping you back. It's holding you back. It's like somebody keeping their hand. My God, what an illustration. It's like, you know, when you played in the pool and your older brother or sister kept their hand on you, tried to dunk you down under the water over and over again. That's what the enemy is doing to you by allowing unforgiveness to stay in your life. He's just drowning you over and over in the same stuff. And you're allowing those people or that person to hurt you over and over, month after month, year after year year they've forgotten all about you but it's still hurting you it's still stealing from you it's still killing your joy and it's keeping you from your purpose and satan is having a field day i'm here to tell you that can break off of you today in the power and in the name of jesus but you've got to confess it you've got to get it out you've got to confess that forgiveness and let go of the unforgiveness I was a young minister, first church, over 20 years ago. Youth pastor. Gotta watch out for him. Just kidding. I was a youth pastor in my the first church, and to make a long story short, I, I, I was hurt very, very bad from the leadership. I love that church. I had volunteered six years and then became the youth pastor and in I won't go into the details, but I was devastatingly hurt by them. Kathy was hurt, betrayed. It was her home church. If I had allowed the enemy to do what I wanted to do, which was to hold that unforgiveness and to, to just get you know mad and, and, and split the church and all those things that you, you think about, I'll get you. See how that works. 
If I had done that, I'm convinced I wouldn't be standing here right now. Thank God that I allowed the forgiveness of the Lord to help me and the power of the Holy Spirit to speak that forgiveness for them and to move on. Those people that hurt you or that person, they don't have to be your best friend. They're not going to be, probably. But don't let that have a hold on you and keep you back from what God has for you. I feel that. So in our story, see, the reconciliation came when Joseph voiced that forgiveness to his brothers for what they had done. And you got to get this. When he did it, listen, this is the end. When he did it, he realized those dreams, they weren't about his family bowing before him at all. It wasn't about that. That was his 17-year-old version, immature version of the meaning of the dreams. It wasn't about that at all. I've, I've taught this a hundred times and I've never seen this. That wasn't what the dream meant. The dream was about the provision of God and the love of God showing through him and being demonstrated through him to save the family of Israel. That's what the dream was about. My God, that's powerful. The dream wasn't about him being the man and the top dog, the big cheese. That's what he thought when he was a kid and he shared it and it hurt him. Of course, his brothers hated him for it. That wasn't what the dream was about. The dream was about God's love and provision demonstrated through him to save the family of Israel. And that leads us to our big idea for this entire series. A God dream is never just about you. A God dream is never just about you. I get people asking me all the time, Pastor, how do I know? How do I know it's God? How do I know the will of God? How do I know the dream that's put in my heart is God? You test it against that. If If the dream ends and you're getting the glory, it's not God. If the dream ends and you're the only one that gets blessed by it, it's not God. But if if somebody else gets blessed, if somebody else comes closer to Christ, if the kingdom of God advances, it's God. It's God, and you need to hold on to it. You need to take steps of faith because God's put that in your heart. A God dream is not just about you. It will always involve blessing others. Just like you, Bronco. Just like you. Hallelujah. I'm sorry, I just saw him over there and his whole young life, you know, he's waited for a heart transplant. He got that heart transplant and he could have left that hospital and never looked back. My God. But he didn't. He wanted to bless all the children that were in. Come on. That's a God dream. But that didn't happen in Joseph's life. He didn't see it until he voiced his forgiveness. Would you bow your heads?